Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us today for this three-part series on Jesus. We're going to discuss Jesus in the Old Testament. So these are going to be some stories and some scriptures and some passages that you are familiar with, but maybe you've not necessarily associated it with the prophecy of Jesus. So we're going to string together many different stories throughout the Old and New Testament and show you how Jesus was actually written throughout the whole entire book of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. So again, there's a lot of stories, a lot of scripture reading. So um, just hopefully your little guide will help you stay on track with where we're going with this. But to begin, when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, Oh, before I start, I love conversation, and so I'm going to ask questions, and I love that we're, we both are so thrilled we're in this room, because we're worried we're going to be downstairs, and it's not very conversational, but the prayer room is very conversational, so when we have questions, feel free to just interject your thoughts, okay? So when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, his message consisted of quotes from the Old Testament. That was with the claim that Jesus was fulfilling all of these prophecies of the anticipated Messiah. The first century church, when they read the Hebrew scriptures, they read them as if they belonged to the church. They were the foundation of Christ. They were the witness to Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he was manifest in flesh. And then they offered specific direction for living as a Christian. So they used these Hebrew scriptures over and over throughout the New Testament. That was the basis for the validity of who Jesus Christ was. So in Luke 24, verse 13, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, two of his disciples were traveling, and they were discussing the events that had happened the last couple of days. And again, this was after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And these two disciples were walking along, and they were discussing things that had been happening, and Jesus noticed them, and he drew near to them. And it says they were his disciples, so they knew him and he knew them. But they did not recognize Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> that reading already happening. Um, <laughs> so when Jesus recognized them, he got near to them and he asked them, what kind of conversation is this? That you're having with one another as you're walking that makes you look so sad. What is making you so sad? And they looked back to Jesus and they said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the events that have been happening over the last few days. They clearly did not recognize the Messiah. But we got to look at how Jesus responded to this. So someone has Luke 24, 25 through 27. Someone has, a, oh, it's Alyssa Nelson. Go ahead, sis. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? 
And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Perfect. Thank you. So he took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, and he started explaining from all the scriptures the things that concerned himself. So he took all those Old Testament, those Hebrew writings, and he showed how it was revelation of who he was. And later he goes on to say in Luke 24, 44, he says, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's a fill-in, so I'll say it again. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their mind to understand the scripture. <laughs> Notice that Jesus said everything written in the law by the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's how we're breaking down this three-part series. We're gonna, the first part's going to be more of the law. How Jesus was revealed through that. Next week is going to be how he was revealed through the prophets. And finally, it's going to be how the Psalms uh, revealed who he was. Alrighty. I am going to stay seated because I'm not much taller standing. Okay. So, where do we start when we're talking about uh, studying Jesus in the Old Testament? Uh, when we think about Jesus in the Old Testament, we can actually go all the way back to the very beginning. Uh, in Genesis 1-1, uh, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, where else can we recognize this phrase from? Does anybody, can anybody recognize that somewhere, somewhere in John? 1-1. Yeah. yeah. Um, when John wrote, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and that's one and two. So not only did John use the phrase in the beginning two times, but he was also discussing the same subject both times, which was creation. So John wrote that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And then... Fast forward to verse 14, says, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he makes that connection between the word and God, and he explains how both these things are wrapped up into the manifestation of Jesus Christ. Um, and then John also wrote uh, in his first letter, the book of 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So Jesus was very real to them. You know, they, they physically saw him. They, they spoke with him. They talked with him. They could touch him and feel him. The word of life was from the beginning. Jesus wasn't wasn't uh, a phantom. He wasn't this uh, idea. The apostles had not only seen him, you know, like I said, they were able to commune with him and, and walk with him and touch him with their hands. Um, the Bible informs us that the God who created the heavens and the earth in the beginning is none other than the same God 
that we know through his manifestation as Jesus Christ. He is not a God distinct from the creator, rather he is the creator. He is the eternal life that was with the Father and he was manifested to us as Jesus. Um, and the name of Jesus is not independent either from the Old Testament name of Yahweh. Jesus, in fact, is the covenantal name of God. Jesus' name is the extension, both the extension and fulfillment of all of Yahweh's Old Testament blessings and prophecies. Um, so, uh, it's quite impossible to explain the mystery of the incarnation of Jesus more fittingly than Paul did in Timothy. Timothy 3.16, it's a pretty common verse that we've all probably heard. Um, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, believed on in the word, received up in glory. Okay, so Kylie just did a great job of, of explaining Jesus in the beginning. Okay, you go through the whole Old Testament and the name of Jesus is never mentioned. But you can look back and see how he was there from the beginning and even in the garden. You cannot really talk about Jesus unless you talk about the beginning because he's through it all. So we want to see how Jesus is referred to still in Genesis. But we're going to go just a few verses later and I have a question for you. Think in your mind, back in Genesis, what was the first commandment or the first law that was given? What was it? That's a good one. There's something farther back than that. Very beginning, the first commandment, the first law, the first rule or set of instructions given to man. Brother Gary. Exactly. That was the first law that was given to man, that thou shalt not eat of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree, of the tree of life, you surely could. So there was the first law or rule that was given. And when we look back at this, once that rule was broken, something, obviously we know something had to die. There's all kinds of references to Jesus Christ and what was going to be coming to cover our sins. And we know that, we've heard that story many, many times that that law was broken. Um, they tried to cover their sin. An animal had to die to provide clothing for them. Beyond that, though, when you look at this prophecy, uh, there's actually a prophecy that starts right here in Genesis 3. Who has Genesis 3? I think it's 315. Go ahead, sister. It's 14. Okay. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay, thank you. So you're going to see right there, there was a prophecy that happened. So there was a curse, there, a law was broken, and then a curse went forth, and then there was a prophecy. And you can go past it so easily, because I have hundreds of times looked past this and I don't see it. But it's that last section that Sister Nave read to us where it says, 
there's three parts. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's between the serpent and the woman. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the first part of that is saying that there's going to be enmity between humans, Eve's offspring, or Eve, and a member of the animal kingdom. So there's going to be enmity there. Prior to that, there was no enmity. Otherwise, Eve would not have gone and talked to a serpent uh, at a tree. That We would not do that today. We would run and scream uh, bloody murder. But Eve <laughs> felt comfortable to sit there and talk to him. There was, there was no um, problem there. Second, he would put enmity between Eve's seeds and the serpent's seed. So it wasn't just that there was going to be a problem between Eve and the serpent, but the seed that was going to come from her, her descendants were also going to have issues with the serpent's descendants. And this is very true still to this day. Not everyone, but most 99.9% people. <laughs> and then the third part of this prophecy is specifically messianic because it points, it really shifts the focus, and it actually calls out a descendant. And it says... He, it's a male descendant. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that was to the serpent. So it's saying that Eve and the serpent and their descendants um, to a specific male of Eve's and the serpent himself. So that was a prophecy. And then we know of this. So as we continue on and the anticipated death of the Messiah, we know the serpent was going to bruise his heel. But it also foretold of the death of the serpent. The Messiah would crush to the serpent's head. And how would this happen? The actual prophecy is within that scripture itself. It says the seed of the woman would not only uh, be a human being, but it would be God himself. John 1, I'm sorry, 1 John 3 and 8 says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. So through the death of Jesus, he destroyed him who had the power over death. And the Messiah did crush the serpent's head, or will crush, I'm sorry, the serpent's head. So in that scripture, death always refers to some kind of separation. That's a fill-in. In the scriptures, all throughout the Bible, when there's death, there's separation that happens. And this is what God is referring to when he told Adam that of every tree he may freely eat. Uh, but if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would surely die. It wasn't a physical death. He lived to be like 930 years old or something. But we know that he spiritually died. There was a spiritual separation that happened there. So the prophesied enmity between the serpent and Eve's descendants would result in death for both of them. But the Messiah, the seed of the woman, was going to rise again. So that was just a bruised heel. He did not destroy Messiah. The Messiah was rose again. But we do know that in the end, Satan is thrown into the pit of fire. So we do know his ending, and his head will be crushed. And then Kylie is going to transfer us over into Jacob's prophecy to Judah. <laughs> All right. So, um, in studying the presence of Jesus within the Hebrew scriptures, um, which is essentially the Old Testament, um, for anyone who might not know, um, I did not know before I went off to Bible college. Um, the Old Testament was actually originally written in Hebrew, um, as opposed to the New Testament that was written in Greek um, before it was, you know, later translated for um, us. But anyway, so in studying the presence of Jesus um, in the Old Testament, 
we need to be alert or aware of the mentions of the Old Testament found in the New Testament. They will reference, um, you know, scripture and passages that were actually spoken in the Old Testament. So one reference of this is located in Matthew 21, and I believe that's a card someone has. Erica, sorry, I gave you a long one. That's fine. <laughs> and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, yep. Behold, my king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon a donkey, and the colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought. Really? I didn't realize it said it so many times. <laughs> I'm sorry. And brought the donkey and the boy and Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey, and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is a great example. This is an example of intertextuality, which is where a scripture references or quotes an earlier writer, um, like we spoke about earlier. Do we get this on that later? <laughs> Remember that? Yes. So this is an example, like we talked about, about how the New Testament explicitly references the Old Testament. He's referencing um, a prophecy that a prophet had already given in the Old Testament. Um, so yes, in this case, Matthew declared Jesus to be that king that Zechariah had written about. Um, and the prophecy in Zechariah is actually drawn from an even earlier prophetic statement made by Jacob. So we've got a free for going on here. Um, and Jacob made this prophecy. Uh, it was his last words to his sons. Um, I think this is also a set of scriptures. Genesis 49, 9 through 11. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall never shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his donkey's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. So these were Jacob's words, his last words to his son Judah. Um, in Genesis 49.11, which was the previous um, set of verses we read, and then Zechariah 9.9, um, they're the only two places in the Old Testament where the words bull and colt are found together. Um, and we've also heard these words um, in the story we first read in Matthew uh, about Jesus going to the city um, in Matthew 21 where he sent the animals as he was approaching Jerusalem so this is actually this is that threefer I was talking about it's a great example of intertextuality because first the words are found we kind of did them a little backwards but first the words are found in Genesis uh, in Jacob's prophecy, spoken to Judah, and then they're later found and clarified in Zechariah, which is still Old Testament, where he prophesied the coming of a king, talking about how he would come lowly, you know, on a donkey. And then finally, they're found again in Matthew, where they're specifically said and fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself. Okay, so... How can we talk about Jesus and the Old Testament without talking about a Passover? Uh, so we're going to talk about Egypt, the Passover, the Israelites, and tie that into Jesus as well, which most of you are, this is an obvious one. This one isn't one that you kind of have to dig out. So after the first nine plagues, Pharaoh still refused to release the people of Israel. So the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to bring one more plague onto Egypt. And then after that, they're going to, they're going to want you to go. They're going to kick you out. And this would be the most severe of them all. So what was that final plague? The first child. Yep, they're going to kill the firstborn. And how is Israel going to be saved from that? Blood over the 
Yep, blood on the doorpost. So each household had to select a male lamb, making sure it had no blemishes. And on the 14th day of the month at twilight, the lamb was going to be killed and some of its blood needed to be applied to the two doorposts. And then when the Lord passed through the land of Egypt, he was not going to take the firstborn of those with the doorpost covered. And then thus began the celebration of the Passover. He passed over those who had blood on their doorpost. So John, and we're going to go back now into the New Testament, John the Baptist, he sees Jesus walking by and he says to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. And this was in John 1. He noticed right when he saw Jesus that he was the Lamb of God. He was that ultimate sacrifice that needed to be shed and applied to our lives so that when the Lord comes to destroy, you know, we are going to be saved. Then we see that when Philip encountered the treasure of Ethiopia on the road leading to Jerusalem, the Ethiopian was reading from, does anybody have any idea what prophet or what book that Ethiopian was reading from? One of our major prophets? The book of Isaiah. The Ethiopian was reading from the book of Isaiah and the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and said, go over and take over that chariot. So, of course, running to the man, Philip heard him reading aloud from the book of Isaiah, because that's all they had to go off of. New Testament was not written yet. They were just really studying. They were responsible for knowing the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, as Kylie refers to it. Um, running next to the man, Philip heard him reading out loud and asked him if he understood what he was reading. And the scriptures that he was reading, it, they weren't very clear. And so the... the um, Ethiopian said, well, how could I understand unless someone guided me? And then he asked Philip to join him in his chariot. And as the Ethiopian was reading the words from Isaiah, um, he was pricked in his heart. And the words in Isaiah 53, 7 through 8, and I'll read that. I didn't pass it out. It said, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So in the very beginning, it talks about him being a lamb sled to the, the slaughter. And, it's, and then Philip asked the eunuch, you know, do you understand? He, he starts to understand what the prophecy is saying. And the eunuch was so... Uh, moved by this, that as they were traveling along, they come by a body of water, the eunuch asks to be baptized. So his life was changed by the Old Testament, but not just by the Old Testament, by pairing the Old Testament with the New Testament. And we're going to find that that's what the that is what the disciples did. They took that Old Testament and they showed the validity of Jesus Christ. And just by understanding the Old Testament and then understanding who Jesus is, it just brings it all together so beautifully. Isaiah 53 is one of the most extensive and clear prophecies of the coming Messiah and his redemptive work. And then in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, it says that Paul is saying, Indeed, Christ, our Passover, he was sacrificed for us. And clearly Paul was stating that Jesus was our spotless lamb. So back there in the days of Moses with the Israelites, it's all pointing to Jesus. He's all over the scriptures. All right. So next we're going to be moving on to Balaam. Um, 
Balaam's prophecy is located in Numbers 22 and 23. Um, bless you. Uh, and the story of Balaam's prophecy, um, so Balak, Balak was the king of the Moabites, um, and he had seen how the Israelites had defeated the Amorites, I always hated all these different ites. I could never get them straight in my head. So I feel like if I say them slower, I understand. <laughs> I understand more. So essentially, this king had seen Israel defeat another nation already, and saw that they were, you know, a great army, many people. God was with them, and essentially, he was afraid. He was afraid that they were going to come conquer his people as well. So Balak contacted the prophet Balaam, and he asked him to come. He sent his men, because um, they didn't have cell phones, so he sent his men over to uh, Balaam, and he said, uh, you know, come and curse the Israelites for me so that I can defeat them. Um, and uh, actually, someone does have this one. Does anyone have Numbers 22? Karen? Yeah. Over. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are around about us, as the ox lick up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balan, the son of Per, to which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and, the, and they abide over against me. Come now before I pray thee, curse me these people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may spite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I was that he whom thou blessed is blessed, and he whom thou curse is cursed. Okay. So part of what we already talked about, thank you for reading, um, how, you know, Balak had sit, sent his people and said, uh, come curse the Israelites for me, um, because I know who, who you bless is blessed, and who you curse is cursed. So come and take care of them for me. Um. But God told Balaam, you can't curse them, they're my people, and they're blessed. Um, but Balak keeps sending his men, he tries sending, he tries a couple times, he tries sending um, some more important men, he's like, oh, Balaam, Balaam can't say no now, I've, I've sent these important men, and he has to come curse them now. Um, and God finally says that Balaam can go, but he's only allowed to say what the Lord tells him he should. Um, so, so Balaam journeys on over to, uh, I forget where he's the king of, the Moabites. I don't know what nation that is, but <laughs> he travels over. Moab. Moab. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was never good at history. <laughs> so he's traveling over to Moab, um, to see King Balak. And this is actually where the story of the talking donkey comes in, um. 
where the uh, Balaam doesn't see the angel at first, but the donkey does, and the donkey is like just going crazy, and you know Balaam keeps like slapping his donkey. He's like, "What are you doing? Like, keep going." And the angel is asking, um, "Why? Why are you hitting the donkey?" And the donkey says the same thing: "Why are you hitting me?" Like, <laughs> that's, crazy. that's essentially the story. That's essentially what happens. <laughs> um, but that was on the way. So when Balaam arrives. Uh, instead of cursing the Israelites, he blesses them because, again, God, they're his people. And he says, you can't, you can't curse them. And he's only allowed them, he's only allowed Balaam to say what he wants him to say. Um, so Balak wasn't happy with that. He tries taking Balaam to two different places, thinking somehow that would change his mind. And Balaam still continues to bless Israel. So I've got a couple verses, but they aren't, um, I didn't pass them out, so I'm going to read them. Um, so Balaam said of Israel, no misfortune is seen in Jacob, no misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of a king is among them. And this is significant because at this time, Israel didn't have a king. So this was a prophetic statement made by Balaam when he spoke that about, you know, the shout of a king is among them. Um, so speaking of the Israelites, Balaam also says, he crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Um, and those were, the first one was Numbers 23, 21, and the second one is Numbers 24, 9. So after reading that, there's no question that Balaam's statement was prophecy. When he says he bows down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him, these are very specific words that have already been spoken before in the Old Testament. Um, does anyone happen to remember? We've already read these words tonight. Does anyone happen to remember where they came from? No, we've read a lot of scripture tonight. Um, so these exact words were spoken by Jacob um, as he blessed Judah back in Genesis 49. Um, he said to Judah, he bows down as a lion and as a lion, oh wait, I've skipped, I've reread something. Um, okay, yeah, so these words were spoken by Jacob as he blessed Judah and Jacob's words in that, in that case, described how Jesus would come from the tribe of Judah. So Balaam then goes on to give a prophecy of great significance, saying that the Messiah would come out of Jacob. Um, and I'm going to read Numbers 24, 17. Unless someone has it, I don't know. I think the blue I highlighted are me. Um, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the people of Sheth. So again, we see these words spoken first in Genesis to Judah from Jacob. And then they're reiterated again, the same exact words, only this time they're spoken about the Israelites, God's people. And then they're fulfilled, finally, in Jesus Christ, who in Revelations 5.5 is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That Revelations 5.5, no misfortune is seen in Jacob, 
Um, that's the wrong verse I copied. But in, Ver in Revelations 5, 5 is where he's called uh, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. Does anybody want to look up Revelations 5, 5 real quick? I guess I could have. Sword drill. <laughs> it's between you and your grandma. I'm going to win. I don't doubt that. <laughs> okay. Oh, yes. Okay. So, and one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. That is Revelations 5 5. So it's interesting that Kylie got two stories on a donkey <laughs> to kind of describe. <laughs> and I got two stories to talk through about Egypt and the exodus there of Egypt. Uh, you cannot think about the Old Testament without really understanding who the Israelites were, the, the significance of Egypt, and the, the bondage that they were in, and how they were delivered from that bondage. Uh, to get into the promised land. And all of that is a complete replication or a foreshadowing of what we're going to experience and what we've already experienced with Jesus Christ. How we have found ourselves in bondage, some more than others. How Jesus has rescued us. The whole baptism even that we experience, even as um, the Israelites experienced as they went through the Red Sea. And uh, you know they were baptized through that experience as they got to the other side. Um, and then as we find out that we get, we have that deliverance, the baptism, and then many of us have a wilderness experience, but then we eventually are going to get to that promised land. And that is just that great um, foreshadowing of what the hope that we have of our promised land as well. So after the exodus of Egypt, Moses, he spoke to the people and he told them that they were going to look for another prophet to come, who was going to redeem them from the bondage and the captivity that they had been in another redeemer. So Deuteronomy 18:15. Does someone have that call? <laughs> the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. You must listen to him. So Moses declares, the Lord your God, he will raise you, he will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Notice that Moses not only reveals the coming of this future prophet, but he also tells Israel that they need to listen to him. Okay, that's kind of a key because then several years later, millennium later, Moses along with Elijah, they appeared on the mountain in the presence of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. What was that called? Yes. Thank you. And this was at this mountain, Jesus was transfigured, and his face, it says, it shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And that's in Matthew 17 2. Does anybody want to read that? And I can you can have this one. Oh, she gave it to you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll be a slow dinner. I got too many papers. You're in Jonah. I know this. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> John loves it too. Two one. His favorite. Matthew 17, 2. 
and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine <coughs> as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Thank you. That's exactly what I said. I thought maybe I had a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And then God spoke out of a cloud, declaring that this was his beloved, with whom he was well pleased. And then it goes on. Do you have that in verse 5? Is that what it says for you in verse 5? While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid, as we all would be. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially when you see uh, Moses and Elijah there as well. Um, but it says, listen to him. This is that same exact words that echoed with Moses when he said that someone was going to, there was going to be another prophet that was going to be raised up and that God was going to raise up someone that was going to deliver them from the bondage and captivity that they were in. And it said to listen to him. So this echoes the words of Moses and it's declaring the prophecy that was the sister Bishop read in Deuteronomy 18, 15 that had been fulfilled with the coming of Jesus Christ. So as we look through these lessons or these little stories, has anyone actually read this other than maybe the Passover in Egypt and thought, oh, this is really pointing to the Messiah with Balaam or, you know, the story that Kylie told about um, the Messiah, the colts and the donkeys where they were pointing back to Zechariah, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. Nope. I just find it interesting that as we begin to open up this Old Testament, these words, we're able to start to string through this tapestry of Jesus Christ. And even though his word, is, his name is never mentioned, he is actually strung through the Old Testament. And as Kylie and I were studying, we found this interesting tidbit here that when you see the, the word Lord mentioned in the Old Testament, a lot of times you're going to see it in all caps. And it's a little bit uh, smaller, all caps. But you're going to find it, I believe it was in one of the earlier readings that we had. And let me see here. It might have been, I'll find it here in just a moment. Might have been in the Genesis one. Um, but it's, it talks about when, when that was converted from Hebrew, and they tried to translate that over here into English, that's how they translated it, was to Lord in all caps, but it actually means Yahweh. So as you're at reading the New Testament, the Old Testament, you see that word Lord, that's Yahweh. You're going to see that in the New Testament when they're talking about Jesus Christ as being Lord, and it's going to be in that all caps, L-O-R-D, and that is the translation of Yahweh. Exodus too. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting how they just I don't know why they didn't use the word Yahweh. I guess because it doesn't translate. You know, it's not a name that we use often. Well, but. they did in the in the Hebrew scriptures that it said uh, Yahweh in the old Hebrew scriptures, but in translation they translated it into Lord. Um, but they the um, original text did say Yahweh in those places. So then that would lead to Yeshua, which is Joshua, and that's our translation for Jesus. So it all just ties together very beautifully when you do begin to kind of dive in and study this. 
Are there other stories that we did not mention today in this lesson that you think of in the Old Testament that is an obvious one that points to Christ? Because I know there's some we're going to talk about next week, and I want to know if those are ones that you've already discovered or thought about um, as you've gone through your studies. Got some, Bishop? Got anything on your mind? I have something. Yes. I don't know for sure, but somewhere in my memory, I believe that the cult that Jesus wrote in there has never been written before. Yes. I think that so therefore, he, uh, usually when a horse or a donkey is ridden, they got to be broke. Mm -hmm. they got to be tamed. Jesus did not have to tame this. Yeah. This coat, it just settled down and walked in like it supposed to. <laughs> but that's unheard of in the animal world that you'd get an animal that would just walk for the first time, never been ridden for the first time in, that in itself is a miracle. Yeah, I've heard that too. It's been a while, but that's pretty amazing. I think as you look through right now in one of our studies that we're doing on uh, Thursday nights, we're studying Isaiah. And you cannot get through a chapter of Isaiah without seeing prophecies of Jesus. Oh, yes. He is Isaiah, everything that he spoke of was speaking of the coming Messiah. Um, and then even in Psalms, you know that, and we're going to get to those too, but the Psalms, one of my favorite Psalms in itself is Psalms 91. And if you read Psalms 91, the beginning of it is not so obvious because it just talks about he who shelters in the shadow of the Most High will find rest in the Almighty. We know this scripture. We also know that it talks about how um, he will shelter you with his wings and his faithful promises are your armor and protection. But as you move through that scripture, you find uh, that as they're talking, it says, um, hold on, let me see. You know what? I lost it. I thought this was the one where it talks about the wonderful counselor. That must be in Isaiah. I'm so sorry. 9-6. Is that what it is? I, I just read this, but I got my, my books mixed up. That's what happens when you go off the cuff. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yes, you're right. Thank you. So it was my other favorite scripture, Mother, um, <laughs> which is Isaiah 9.3. But as you read through Isaiah 9.3, it just really talks about people being in the darkness. There's going to be a great... Um, there's going to be a great light that shines in the darkness and how we should rejoice as if we are warriors dividing the plunder because our yoke of heavy burden um, is going to be broken. The yoke of slavery is going to be lifted and the oppressor's rod will be destroyed. So powerful. And then just a few scriptures later it says, For unto us a child is born and a son is given and the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the government and his peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice. So even back, you know, there's just scripture after scripture that points to the Messiah, which was makes sense because that's how they recognized him, the ones who um, who understood and saw him. Other, a lot of people missed him. Most people didn't catch it, but the disciples and the followers they caught it and they were able to see it because someone explained the word to them. 
So I do find it valuable that we can look back at the scriptures in the Hebrew scriptures and we can see the intertwining of Jesus Christ so that we can also point people. He's not just the God of the New Testament. He's not just that God of love and of peace and of hope, but he's also that same God that went through in the beginning of time. He is the same God that went through the Israelites, brought them out of Egypt, and the ones that they prophesied over, that they sang songs and wrote over. It's the same exact God, and it's all Jesus. And you can't talk about all of that without understanding that there's just one God, one Lord, and he's all wrapped up in flesh, and his name is Jesus. So, before we end tonight, we're going to just end a few minutes early. We have one quiz question. <laughs> Who can say what intertextuality means? <laughs> it's putting the scriptures from before and after and combining something along those lines. Yeah, very good. Let's give Sandra. <laughs>